This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, February 14th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, state cannabis legalization and psychosis-related healthcare utilization, is in JAMA Network. Psychosis has long been considered a potential consequence of cannabis use. In this retrospective cohort study, the Association of State Cannabis Legalization with Psychosis-Related Healthcare Claims among some 63 million privately insured individuals were investigated. The study found 7 million psychosis-related diagnoses and 20 million prescriptions filled for antipsychotics over the study period. State medical and recreational cannabis policies were not found to be associated with a statistically significant increase in rates of psychosis-related health outcomes. Next is an article in Psychological Medicine titled, Recreational Cannabis Legalization Has Limited Effects on a Wide Range of Adult Psychiatric and Psychosocial Outcomes. This longitudinal twin cohort study examined the potential causal effect of recreational cannabis legalization on substance use, substance use disorder, and psychosocial outcomes. The twin living in a recreational state used cannabis more frequently and had fewer alcohol use disorder symptoms than the co-twin living in a non-recreational state with legalization. Changes in negative outcomes as a result of legalization were not found. A new article in Schizophrenia Research is titled The Trajectory of Two Negative Symptom Dimensions in First Episode Psychosis and the Role of Cannabis Use. This study investigated the trajectories of diminished expression and apathy over 10 years and the effects of baseline and persistent cannabis use on the development of diminished expression and apathy during follow-up. Both cannabis use at baseline and persistent cannabis use after a first episode of psychosis were associated with more severe symptoms of diminished expression. These results imply a causal relationship between cannabis use and diminished expression and suggest that measures to reduce cannabis use both before and after psychosis onset may reduce expressive negative symptoms. Next, we have a study in drug and alcohol dependence titled Cost-Effectiveness of Office-Based Buprenorphine Treatment for Opioid Use Disorder. This study draws on medical research to estimate variables such as overdose rates in and out of treatment, as well as rates of treatment discontinuation and reentry, relapse rates in and out of treatment, and healthcare and criminal justice costs. The study estimated that for 100,000 persons with opioid use disorder treated with buprenorphine, 9,000 overdoses would be prevented over five years. This would yield 1.07 additional quality-adjusted life years per person with a healthcare cost of $17,000. Assuming buprenorphine treatment was half as effective and twice as expensive, that figure becomes $25,500 per quality-adjusted life years, which is less than the U.S. GDP per capita. When savings of criminal justice costs are also considered, buprenorphine treatment is highly cost-effective. A new study in psychopharmacology is titled Reconsidering Disassociation as a Predictor of Antidepressant Efficacy for Esketamine. While the disassociative effect of ketamine has been considered a side effect historically, there's been some suggestion that it may be related to the therapeutic antidepressant effects. In this study, the authors conducted a pooled secondary analysis of the TRANSFORM-1 and TRANSFORM-2 trials for esketamine use for treatment-resistant depression to examine the relationship between its disassociative effect and antidepressant effects. 
In their analysis, the authors did not find a clinically significant association between experience of disassociation and the antidepressant effects of the medication. The next study is in biomedicines, titled The Inflammatory Signals Associated with Psychosis, Impact of Comorbid Drug Abuse. The authors conducted a literature review to examine the potential relationship between immune inflammatory changes and psychosis and substance use. In their review, the authors note that there are multiple neuroinflammatory markers that have been linked to psychotic disorders, including cytokines, chemokines, endocannabinoids, and others. Many of these same markers are found in patients with substance use disorders. The authors suggest these findings complement the neurodevelopmental model of psychosis and substance use disorder and suggest an inflammatory process may be involved in early abnormal neurodevelopment with subsequent inflammatory events precipitating symptoms. While the authors note that further research is needed, this may have implications for the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of these disorders. Our next study, titled Novel Role of AMPK in Cocaine Reinforcement via Regulatory CRTC1, is in Translational Psychiatry. Repeated cocaine exposure causes compensatory neuroadaptations in neurons in the nucleus accumbens, a region that mediates reinforcing effects of drugs. This study employed a cocaine self-administration model in rats to investigate the effect of adenosine monophosphate-activated protein kinase and its target transcriptional coactivator 1 on cocaine reinforcement and the motivation for cocaine. The results indicate that AMPK in the NAC shell is critical for cocaine reinforcement, possibly via the regulation of CRTC1 signaling. These findings may help reveal potential therapeutic targets and have important implications for the treatment of cocaine use disorder and relapse. Our final article is in the New England Journal of Medicine, titled Translational Challenges in Psychedelic Medicine. The author notes that psychedelic agents show activity at the serotonin 2A receptor. A recent research paper reports the synthesis of 17 compounds that have 5-HT2A receptor activity. Two of these showed no psychedelic activity in rodents, but did show positive effects on rodent measures of anxiety and depression. However, rodent-to-human translational research has yielded little in psychiatric drugs in recent decades. Psychedelic research in humans involves controlled environments and cortical activity response to psychedelic effect and therapeutic response. These and other features of human research could be incorporated into animal research. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.